Hey, hey, on the show today, the inspiring guitarist, singer, producer, session cat, YouTuber, educator, and author, John McLennan. He plays blues and just about everything else. Once we were happy together. He also plays a lot of 12 string, which I dig. We're going to learn one of the coolest 12 string approaches that just may be the secret to one of the greatest rock and roll songs of all time by a certain band called the Rolling Stones. We'll get to that in the interview. I sure do appreciate Blue Microphones for making this interview happen. Blue has been making microphones for 25 years, and today they are the choice for millions of musicians, producers, podcasters, creators, and guitar studio owners. Whether you're just starting out or looking for a new flavor for your studio and your mixes, you can find the perfect microphone for you at bluemic.com. What's up? It's episode 126 of No Guitar Is Safe. I am Jude Gold. This is another John McLennan track. You'll find your lady's been around. He loves the blues. He does a lot of different styles. He's one of those cats, man. Session Cat. When we open the jam today, when we open the interview, we're jamming on a song called Someday by Julian Lennon that John McLennan did all the guitars on, etc. It actually features Steven Tyler of Aerosmith on the studio track as well. But anyway, that's the progression we're jamming on. I'm opening on, I'm playing like a dirty Telecaster and he's playing the clean Telecaster. And then he'll bust out a bunch of other cool guitars for you. Man, I got to get this one high-range Viet guitar that he has. Christmas is coming up, people. Just saying. Hook a brother up. But the thing about John, too, is he knows how to stay busy online. Right? Pandemic, schmandemic. He's always happening online. From his YouTube channel to teaching on the Fender Play app to Instagram videos to writing instructional books. And he can't be stopped. And he shares some ways that you can stay busy, too in this time that gigs and touring and clinics and in-person teaching have all been heavily curtailed. It's interesting, I just did an event where I kinda learned a lot because I have two good buddies from, well I know Christian Powell since high school and Jeff Gomes, great drummer, since age 10 at Casadero Music Camp, which by the way, that camp comes up in today's interview. And they, they play with Mordred and I agreed to let Mordred take over my YouTube channel on Halloween night. And I was really amazed at all the stuff they did because they put a month into each one of their shows. They had video skits, short movies, music videos, live performances of their own music, of course. Comedian Brian Crow read the news, of, you know, like Weekend Update, SN. This was like a, this was like a metal version of SNL. Burlesque dancer, it was Halloween. I even came out as Michael Myers with a big old <laughs> kitchen knife which I then dropped and picked up the guitar instead. And turns out what we're playing is the Halloween theme by John Carpenter. Kind of silly. It just goes to show that if you can't tour and you can't do all this other stuff, there is a lot of stuff that you and your crew can put together if you want to have an event online. 
and there were some streaming snafus, but we're still in that one year beta testing window where I say we can blame all glitches on the virus, at least until about March 13th, 21. That's when that beta year is kind of over and we have to start having our game together like John. Anyway, I had a great time with him. This interview, you know, it's funny, Nile Rogers comes up because we're talking about funk licks and when we did this interview, I had no idea that Nile Rogers would be a featured guest as he was last week. I ran that one first because that one is current. You know, we talked about Eddie Van Halen in that interview just a few days after Eddie's death. So this interview was done before the passing of Eddie Van Halen and before I knew that we'd be interviewing Nile Rogers. Just to put it in context for you, still very fresh interview. Really cool. Here's another tune, by the way. John with his wife Heather Humans singing. Remember, head to bluemic.com. Find your perfect microphone. Blue's been making mics for two and a half decades, and they are the choice for millions of musicians, podcasters, and YouTubers and producers. Check out the Yeti or the Bluebird or even check out the mouse, which I'm using right now. Just visit bluemic.com, click get started and find the mic of your dreams. Let's head over to McLennan's studio. You know what's cool about his studio is he's got, it looks like a guitar store. I'm like, where'd you get those racks? You know, those long wall kind of racks with the long slots where you can kind of put a bunch of guitar hooks on them straight out of a music store. Well, that's what that's where he got them. I guess there was a music store that was closing or something and they were selling everything. And he's like, how much for those wall racks? And he bought a couple of them, so it looks cool. Oh, by the way, your friend John would like to offer you as a listener of No Guitar Is Safe a free download of his soloing manual called Melodic Expressions. Cool book. And it's yours. Just head to johnmclennan.com slash no guitar is safe. All right, keep it alive till you're 95, y'all. Let's jam with John. I'm jamming over Zoom with John McLennan. coming a little bit but It's so that's like a new skill now to be able to 
play rhythm guitar while someone else is soloing and it's hitting you like a two thirds of a second late. <laughs> yeah. It's like, can you just completely like just hold it down and like, yeah, it's rough, man, yeah. but you did a great, you sound awesome. Oh, thanks. You did that clean telly tone you got there is really sweet. Nice telly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This one, you recognize this telly, huh? Did you get, did you get to try one of these American parallel universe telemajammers, telecasters? Yeah, I've seen that. That thing is sweet. How do you like it? I really like it. And I know you do a lot of work with Fender, so don't tell them that I ripped out all 22 frets and put on even bigger ones. Right on. Yeah, that's it's, that's <laughs> great. That's a great option. You know? I put in the Jeskar frets. They're like 6100s, but this tech that does a lot of fret work in the valley named Seth Mayer. Okay. He... Uh, he likes to use those instead of 6100s. So, and my buddy Jeff Marshall's. And you like a little bigger fret, you know, just for doing bends and stuff. And Yeah, it makes it a little bit more slinky, more like you're on rails. Woo! So you got a sweet Telecaster. Now, check this out. I got a standing desk here. I'm gonna lower the horizon a little bit. See, going down. Man, this is, a, <laughs> this is a cool setup. So a very badass Telecaster and very average Ikea standing desk. <laughs> yeah, I know. I got this. I'm rocking this one here too. So a little. Uh, so you got multiple camera angles? Yeah, I figured I'd go all out for, for No Guitar Is Safe, man. That's cool. Are, <laughs> are you recording? Like, so I have a mic on my amp and then I have an overhead. Yeah, yeah, cool. So I'll send you the audio. But like when you're hearing the audio, I mean... It's just literally my amp is kind of over there with a mic on it. So I, yeah. I had it in the booth, but I opened up the booth just so you could, because otherwise it would just be like plinking guitar for you. you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. No, totally. That's great. I'm recording audio that I can send you that's like high quality audio through Pro Tools and like my studio here. So, man, we have some serious Telecaster power happening today, except for you have approximately 97 guitars behind you, John. What's going on with that? I know, it's it's kind of ridiculous, but uh, you know, tools of the trade. <laughs> I always go back to my favorite quote from, from uh, Jimmy Vivino. You know, I had 300 guitars, but sometimes you really need to just pare them down to the 60 or 70 you really need. <laughs> yeah, what was that meme where it's like Einstein's uh, perfect solution for the, the right amount of guitars? It's like the guitars you own plus one <laughs> equals perfect amount of guitars. That is brilliant. I haven't seen it. That is absolutely brilliant. But one of those things is like, you know, with a telly, for me, it's like if I have a telly and then I have my Maton acoustic, I'm set. Like I could do pretty much everything with that. I mean, uh, other than like specific studio things, obviously, where it's like you might need a baritone or you need a uh, national or something for slide, you know. Yeah, man. So you have all these great videos on your YouTube channel. I was thinking like, I love that. Maybe we could start off trading some funk licks. Like you have like a breakdown of like the, your 10 or your favorite funk licks or something. Oh yeah. Yeah. So what are some of your favorite funk licks? So, I mean, all the classic stuff from the seventies, you know, uh, the, the Nile Rogers and a lot of the ones that you probably saw in that video, you know, the, uh, You know, all that kind of stuff to, uh, 
Yeah, there's there's so many so many great funk licks. Funk is the hardest thing to even pretend to jam on over the interwebs using Skype or Zoom because it's so percussive. You know, here's an underrated Nile Rodgers lick. You know, he produced Upside Down, You're Turning Me Instinctively. Diana Ross. Of course, that's sure. not the... I don't know what key it's in, but I think it's something like this. He has like a strap, maybe a neck pickup. That lick influenced me a lot as a kid, even though it's just one little tiny lick on the fade out. What, what are some, some of your other favorite licks from the funk genre? Yeah, I mean, you know, Brick House, of course, that's a classic, you know, that. Ooh. Or Sissy Strut. Wait, know. I love that chord. Ooh, that yeah, it's like a minor play. six, you know? I never even play that one, really. So you're at the seventh position. Top four strings, yeah. Yeah, and even just the three a lot of times, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. From playing and you know just doing so many of those gigs in in town where where I I'm playing you know just yeah. rhythm guitar a lot of times it's just like the top strings and really pared down but just focusing on the groove. Yeah, my favorite is when the groove is not too fast. Like Brick House, someone should make a list of all the top twenty cover band violations. Close to the top would be playing Brick House or Superstition by Stevie Wonder too fast. Right. Well, you play it just two clicks too fast and they lose their pocket. <laughs> or, yeah, or some of those songs in the wrong keys, you know, yeah. that that's always like a tough one. <laughs> it's like some of those, th- like doing Sir Duke or something, so, you know, you uh, you got to do it in B. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, some people like you'll start in on C or something. That's always, I feel like keeping it in the original key is, is a good thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, uh, thank you so much for having me on here. I've been a big fan of your podcast. You've got so many great interviews. Thanks, and uh, I've been listening for a long time, some incredible guitar players that you've been interviewed on here. So just thank you so much for asking me to be on the show. Oh, man, thank you for doing it, man. You're such an inspiring player and killer educator on top of being an inspiring player. And you had this viral video. You know what I love about you is I don't think that I've had anyone really go deep on 12-string stuff yet on the show out of 120 episodes so far. Yeah. And and I know you have 17 12 strings. And um, <laughs> do you think you wanted to, uh, I know you you had a, a viral moment with that. <laughs> sure, yeah, in, in the guitar world, you know. You have this secret tuning. <laughs> right, yeah, well, I you know, I've always loved the song, You Can't Always Get What You Want. You know, I've, I've listened to it forever, been a huge Keith Richards fan. And I always wondered, how did he get the sound on that recording? And it actually started out, you know, over the years I've worked for a lot of different guitar companies where I've been a transcriber, you know, so whether it's like online sheet music sites, like, you know, when you type into Google and you yeah. people search for sheet music, I've been a part of, of a lot of those companies where I've created the sheet music. So I've been transcribing for years and it started with Fender, actually Fender Play, which we can talk about as well. But um, they had asked me to transcribe this song for a lesson. And I remember talking to their like curriculum people and saying, okay, well, you know, would you like sort of this easy version where it's just like standard tuning, you know, kind of strumming the chords, or do you want me to like transcribe it, you know? And they were like, hey, you know, just go for it, like go all in. So I went all in, you know? <laughs> and 
So it started, you know, I just started listening to the song and I think, you know, having a background of like doing a lot of studio work and playing different instruments, like you said, you know, these different 12 strings, knowing a Rick 12 string versus a Guild 12 string and, and uh, you know, playing banjo or ukulele and just experimenting with like acoustic guitar and capos and all that stuff. So I started just listening to this song over and over and, and I was just wondering how did he get that sound? And I think my subconscious was like working on it, you know, cause I kind of listened to it, yeah. sat down and was like, no, that's not it. And I was like, I went for the typical Keith Richards, you know, like open G and kind of started there and was like, it's close, but like something's going on with the higher strings. And so I think just through kind of sleeping on it a little bit. And then like one day I just like went into my studio and I remember like my wife came home and like my hair was like sticking up all crazy, like <laughs> the like the guy in uh, Back to the Future or something. You know, right. I, was, I was like, hey, I, I think I figured something out. And I was like, listen to this. And I hit play on like, you can't always get what you want, that intro after the choir, you know? And then I was like, check this out. And I like played it on my, on my 12 string that was like heavily modified. Um, and then like my wife was like, wow. She's like, yeah, that sounds right on. You know, so I was, I was a little scared at first to put it out there, you know, just the guitar community yeah. can, can be tough, but, but it ended up, yeah, like you said, you know, kind of ended up becoming like the number one yeah. trending thing on, on uh, guitar player and, and guitar world. Like they put it in their blog and all that stuff. And so, yeah, I can show you the guitar. Oh, sweet. Yeah. You read my mind. Yeah, we can take a little a little twelve string detour here. So basically, you know, you have that uh, typical Keith Richards, which is like he'll take off the sixth string, you know, and just play. Yeah. He plays like a banjo tuning, so it's basically just five down, you know. Uh, let's see, so it'd be like G, uh, D, G, B, D is like his typical tuning, but it wasn't quite that. Yeah. So for people who haven't done that, that's like an open A chord, right? But it's like down a whole step, kind of like for him. Yeah, exactly. For anyone who hasn't done open G tuning, you just gotta mess with it. I put it off for years when I was younger and when I finally did it, I was like, oh my gosh, this opens up so much and it's so fucking easy to play with. Right, and if you think about it, it's like the high string just down a whole step. Oh, you mean on like on a banjo? Well, uh, well, let's see, yeah, on guitar it would, it would be the same as long as you, uh, well, I'm saying the Keith Richards, so like, so from five strings down. Yeah, I think I followed you. <laughs> yeah. So now we were talking about his general tuning, but now we're looking at a 12 string. Exactly. So you take a 12 string guitar and what you do is you take off all the doubled strings, except for the high E. Okay. So here, I'll, I'll, I'll start with this. So you've got your, um, you know, you take off all the strings, but you just leave like your doubled high string. Rad. So I'm looking at your 12 string now. It looks like, so you've ripped off the lowest set of strings, which is the two six strings. Exactly. Yeah. And then you've got the every, and it's all single strings except for the high string, which is a double chorus. Right, right. So you take off all the doubled strings except for the high E, and then you just remove the six string as well. So it's like a Keith Richards five string with the doubled high E. Rad. <laughs> and then what you do is you, you uh, drop so it's not the typical T Keith Richards tuning. You want to keep it in standard tuning, but you just drop one string. So what does it sound like without the capo? 
So yeah, it's just like. It's a lot too, yeah. but that's not the one thing. So so basically, what you do is you you drop that fifth string now instead of it being your A, it's going to go right. down to G. So it's almost like standard tuning just with one string changed. So what you do is you put the capo on the fifth fret and you take your fifth string and you drop it down a whole step. So it ends up becoming your fifth string is now C. So it's like C, G, C, E, and then and, A, and you A. That's all the string names up five frets, but the open strings, the open strings exactly. in this tuning before the capo are. Yeah. So it's G, you know, uh, D, G, right, right. B, it's like a G six e. tuning. Exactly. Yeah. Or C. G6 perfect. Capo. Yeah. I'm just wrapping my brain around it. <laughs> yeah. So here was kind of the thing: is basically I was listening to the recording and I kept hearing like on the high strings, it sounded like a twelve string. But when I grabbed my twelve string and like played it against it, immediately I was like, no, that's not it. But then I grabbed the six string and I was like. <laughs> That's kind of it, but like, why am I hearing 12 string on the high strings? And when he strums the higher strings, it sounds like a 12 string, but then he does fills on the lower string that sound like a six string. So I thought, is it a doubled guitar part? Right. But it was so locked that it was, you know, like even if you double, like let's, let's say you play like the perfect yeah. double, like it's still not the same performance. So it's gonna yeah. sound different than, you know, so it was so locked. So I'm like, I, it's not two guitars. So I ended up coming up with this, you know, so you, you get that after the choir and then the guitar just comes in like on the antiphore. It's like. Awesome. Now I want to jam. because I know it's hitting you late. <laughs> hitting your ears later. Yeah, I'm just trying to hold Thank it down you. for that's you. <laughs> luxury. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, that's beautiful. It sounds just like it. When you tune like the, because obviously you have the two high E strings, which are now high A strings. Exactly. Some people are finicky about tuning the strings slightly out of tune so you get that chorusing effect. Do you do that personally or do you? Sure. Like intentionally? Um, well, I think that just naturally, like, if I tune tune it perfectly yeah. to my tuner, you know, it's still going to be out of tune. The second yeah. I play it, it's going to, you know, it's it's almost like the same thing as a double. Like, you could play the same performance, but it's never going to be it. the same thing. You know what I mean? So you're going to naturally get that. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's interesting. But yeah, kind of listening to these different, um, you know, yeah. recordings and like being in the studio and playing 12 strings. And I think that's how I was able to kind of figure it out. But it was just funny seeing like the guitar community, like people would write me and say, so how many hours did it take for you to do that? And do you, do you still enjoy the song? 
You know, like, <laughs> they would say it came like, to me in a vision. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or, you know, they would, um, they will send me things like, can you transcribe this, you know, or, or stuff like that, where the, the comments, some of the comments were pretty funny. They, you know, one was like, I'm still looking for the secret to Keith Richards liver, you know, or something <laughs> like that. It was like, you know, all the, all the Keith Richards jokes. So. Yeah. They never get old. I love those jokes. Now you have a really cool video of all of like the top unknown, or I don't know if that's possible, the top unknown, but the most underrated 12 string licks and also the most famous 12 string licks. Do you have another 12 string setup that you could show us some of those on or is that your, that, or would you have to retune that one? Uh, yeah, I mean, this is actually like my main, you yeah. know, this guitar is when I'm going for 12 string acoustic, this is kind of the one. So yeah, I sacrificed the yeah. strings to uh, show you this one, but I do have like some other guitars. Like I've got this really cool guitar that's like a Valette. Yeah, and the one you were just playing was a nice Guild. Yeah, this is like another great studio guitar that um, it's tuned a tenth above a guitar. Wow. So just it. It's perfect for like in a track where you just like strum one chord and you just get the sound like. That's beautiful. Yeah, it's just, you know, and I find like when I'm doing studio sessions, you know, sometimes people are like, oh my God, that's amazing. And then other times they're like, no, you know, so it's either like a love it or hate it kind of thing. But yeah, it's, it's got a great sound. And then this is a 12 string where basically the strings are unison. So it's more like a mandolin instead of the doubled. Right, so that's the Villette, and it's got two interesting sound holes right around the high frets, one above the high frets, one below the high frets. And um, it's obviously tuned up pretty high, right? Is it in C or? Yeah, it's, it's basically a 10th above a guitar. So yeah. like if, if you had like a D chord, capoed, or not capoed, just played at the 10th fret, and then I play like an E. Yeah. So. Exactly. Yeah, it's that chord and then all the strings doubled in unison. Wow, so that's where it starts. You're at the nut and right. I'm at the 10th fret. <laughs> so it's it's good for like just kind of like playing. Like I said, I, I like using this the most. Just sometimes it's just one chord, just like, you know. Or, Dude, that's killer. You know, something like that in a track that's just. Do you have a lapel mic going or something? Yeah. Oh, cool. I'm just curious. I, I have an overhead. That's it. You got your setup rocking, man. You got multiple camera angles. For those more and more of us, are now Zoomers, or I don't like to just put Zoom. We can use Skype and different things, but you seem to have your online guitar connectivity game down. Like, what switcher, if somebody wanted to get a little video switcher going, how did you do that? Yeah, so just, well, that's just a separate cam. So that's just a separate, like, and on Zoom, you can just rig up the separate cams. Oh, cool. And you can, you can switch to different things. And, you know, I think a lot of this has come from, you know, for years I've worked like with guitar companies where I've done lessons and like, you know, recently, well, about, about the past three years now, coming up on three years, I've been working with Fender, yeah. you know, on Fender Play, which has been an awesome experience being able to work with one of the most legendary guitar brands of all time, you know, and Fender, for those of you that don't know, Fender Play is basically like the complete learning app for yeah. guitar, bass, and ukulele. Yeah. So they have a ton of lessons and it's basically like a subscription thing. They, I think for a while they were still offering three months free, but I basically function as like an on-screen instructor for them. Yeah. So I work directly with the curriculum team and I'm, I'm like a vessel for their lessons. So I'll go in and have to, you know, teach whatever it is that they've got on the yeah. on the schedule, you know, to shoot that day. And it's been a lot of fun. It's been pretty challenging. 
Um, there's been some things where I've had to do like note for note playthroughs and there's no, there's like no punching in. So it's just like, cause they got to get the audio and the video and it's just like, I got to play this whole song down and it's like a lesson. So they have um, a QC that's basically like, if I miss one eighth note, you know, it's like, oh, we got to like cut it again, you know? So I'll, I'll have to recreate, like I did some Stevie Ray Vaughan stuff that was super challenging. And then like some police things yeah. where I'm just going through the tunes, like nailing these guitar parts and we get the tones and all that stuff. So. It's been it's been a tough gig uh, just as far as like doing all that. And then you have to kind of stay in a certain position, you know, like when you play, yep. you know, on stage, like you're feeling the groove. And for me, I'm always like tapping my foot and stuff. And so they put like this mute on my foot that is because <laughs> they want it like super clean. So like when I tap my foot, it's like no sound. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Again. And, um, you know, keeping the guitar like you know, cause the camera people are trying to get like really detailed fingers and like make it really clear for the student. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been a lot of fun and just, you know, the people at Fender, the, the people that are coming through, like just even this last Nam, I got to hang with like Eric Johnson and just some incredible guitar players. One thing that's been awesome is, is like, let's say I'm teaching a Clapton song or something, they'll go and get like the Blackie guitar, you know, like the production model, not Blackie, but <laughs> oh, right, right. they'll get the production yeah. model and bring it in. So I'm like playing these guitars and it's always like pristine guitars. So that's a lot of fun. That is super cool. Fender Play does seem pretty deep. They've got, must have hundreds or thousands of videos up there for their subscribers. And you've obviously done a share. Yeah, it's a lot. I know we were over a thousand songs. Or yeah, something. it's interesting. It, I mean, I would feel that the challenge now with these subscription-based services too is like so much is for free on the internet. If you hunt and fish for two seconds, how do you pull people into the platform? And I, I imagine... There's a certain connectivity or something special about being in Fender Play that you don't necessarily get by just searching randomly around YouTube or whatever. Right. I have my own business as well where like you saw like my do my YouTube channel where I kind of do these things where I solve guitar mysteries like the Keith Richards and I've just been doing content for years and one of the ways that like I make a living through my you know business is basically you know you could go sure you could bounce from video to video but people want especially if you think about if you're learning guitar like you're at a point where you can go and you know you could watch a video from Eric Johnson as mini lesson and like pick up some things and then you can go and you can like get all that because you're so great at, you know, being able to like look at fingers and immediately know what it is in your ear and, you know, you have all this experience playing. But if you think about more of a beginner or something, they, you know, you may play a C and they have no idea like what that shape is, you know. So being able to have it sort of curated and I think with like what I do, it's it's more of like, here's your steps, you know, so it's like you you do this lesson and then you do this lesson and they, they, they're making progress and it's sort of catered to actually be like a curated curriculum kind of thing. Yeah, that's great. Sometimes curriculum gets lost in the modern age. You know, everyone just all these little bites of everything, but to actually have a program that takes you from A to B to C to D, no, uh, no, not trying to sound like guitar chords there, but <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. And you've done some awesome session work too on, on the side. And I mean, you're one of these cats, man. You're all over the map. Which is which I can relate to, but uh, 
like this song someday, Julian Lennon. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that was an incredible experience, you know, getting to play with Steven Tyler and Julian Lennon. And yeah, like you said, the song that I played on is called Someday. It was actually a last minute call from a friend of mine. Uh, his name's Mark Spiro, and he's an incredible songwriter. He's written with Julian Lennon for years and Steven Tyler, and he had a song in Top Gun, and, and he's just, he worked with Dan Huff like a ton, a lot of great guitar players. And so he ended up calling me like real last minute. I remember I was being at, I was out, and I got this call and he's like, hey, you know, we just finished up this song. Steven Tyler, it was around the time that Steven Tyler was doing American Idol. Right. And so he had just finished like the season and the next day he was leaving on tour with Aerosmith. And so they're like, Steven's coming down tonight. He's got to track the vocal. And then tomorrow he's going on on tour with Aerosmith. Can you come down and play on this track? We got to get the guitars done like before he gets here. Rad. And so they just written the song and, and, and then he's like, do you have a 12 string? <laughs> Back to the 12 string. And I was like, yeah, like, you know, what do you want? He ended up wanting an electric 12 string. They wanted like the Rick, you know, cause it's like one of those things when Julian Lennon's gonna call you, you know, it's he's gonna want like that Rick tone, yeah. a lot, <laughs> you know? So I ended up actually calling my wife, you know, which we, I think we were, just, we were dating at the time. And I was like, can you put on a pot of coffee and like, just grab some guitars. I'm coming home. I got to like rush down there and like get these guitar tracks done. And the thing about like a Rick or some of these guitars there, it's incredible. Like this Keith Richards thing when you want that sound. Right. But it's not like the, like we started off with our working guitars, you know, like, yeah. like you could play on that telly, you could play anything, you know? So these guitars like a Rick or something is more of a one trick pony so I ended up saying can you just like pull my Rick out it was in a case can you just tune it up like I don't know when I played it last and like I want to get down to the studio just like pull it out and be like ready you know what I mean like we wanted to go quick here and go fast and so I came home you know my wife was like tuning up the Rick or whatever I was Sweet. like grab the guitar go down to the studio and it was just a surreal experience I mean I remember walking in and just right away, you know, it was like Julian was there and he just goes, hey, what's up? I'm Jules, you know? And I was like, hey, I'm John, you know? And I, I just remember thinking, wow, this is Hey Jude, you That's know? That's right. And so I sit down, I'm playing, I'm playing this Rick, you know, and he's he's going, no, I, I hear this, you know? And he's like singing me parts and I'm like transcribing what he's playing and like dropping it into the track, you know? And so we ended up doing kind of main guitars, some like sort of power things and then we did some 12 string and some licks and stuff. And then like Steven Tyler came down, but yeah, it was just an incredible experience being able to, it was, it was like playing with the Beatles, yeah. you know, I'm doing this 12 string and. Can you show us some of the parts you played or, or <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I was, I was thinking about that. I, I can't even remember what, what I played. I know there was like a lick, you know, so he had, let me pull this lick. It was like, you know, kind of the main line that was like. I think I did like power chords on the lower strings and then I did like the 12. That's nice. Doing the, yeah, kind of the main line. And the thing about the song is it's got sort of this, you know, we're all in it together, like really great, 
great vibe. And then Steven Tyler came and sang a quote from Baby, You're a Rich Man, which is the Beatles tune. So it, it was just so cool to be able to have all of that together. I mean, I, I, I remember being a kid, you know, and like listening to Dream On and just being like, man, if I could play in this band, you know, and then getting to do that was incredible. So yeah, I, I ended up doing a lot of guitars and I, I did a lot of stuff. And then the final version, they, they used a lot of the power guitars and different things. Then they ended up, um, you know, doing some strings on top of it that did a lot of the lead parts that I did. So, you know, that's how it goes as like a studio musician. Like the day you're recording that track is the guitars are pumping in the mix and you got all these extra parts. And then, you know, by the time the final thing comes down, they're using, you know, so a lot of times it gets parred down, you know, but it, it was just incredible. So where did you guys record that session? Yeah, that session actually was a place called Nightbird Studios. That's oh, like really? beneath the Sunset Marquee Hotel in Hollywood. Yeah, I've heard of that. yeah, you go in, like you literally drive into like the, where the valet, like the bottom parking lot, and then you go like into the side studio. You know what's so weird is I've been there for like 10 seconds, but okay. I can't remember what the context was or it's so weird. Just like to meet somebody, I think I might've met my friend Zach Smith from Apple. He does a lot of music, works for Apple and he does a lot of recordings for them. I think that's what it was. That's weird. Yeah, that's a trip. I remember that place. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't been back there recently, but it's, it's a great little, little room and, and I was really happy with how the track came out. All right, this is a 12 string track I like, but I don't have a 12 string. You remember this one? Uh, what's it called? Boston. Hitch a ride. <laughs> yeah, it's, just, it's Boston, right? You said Boston? Yeah, Boston Hitch a ride. Beautiful track. That's just, no one wants me to sing longer than that, but. I love that song. It's funny, you actually played the first song I ever performed live, which was a 12-string track, Super Tramp, Give a Little. I played performed that at music camp. Yeah. 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 That's a great that's a great classic one with yeah. like those hippie chords, you know. Yeah. I call those hippie chords, you know, because all those 12 string songs, yeah. they take you know, they take like triads on the top strings yeah. and you're always hearing that. Yeah, that's like, yeah. You know, like over the hills and far away, right? Yeah. I think. Or, uh, yeah, Super Tramp. Isn't there a Yes song that does that? I think there's a Yes song that does that. But you know what was really interesting to me about learning that tune I mean, I was so blown away that my camp counselor, and I wish I could remember his name, he was a guitar teacher at Casadero Music Camp, this great music camp. He played the bridge to the Super Tramp song, and it's a really great guitar lesson in the little two-note grips that go up the neck from an A chord. It's like... I just remember like... How do you know all these shapes? Like I was so impressed that he could just teach us like five different shapes going way up the neck. It seems so far from the nut, you know, going up to the seventh fret. So that is a good little entry jam for people to learn. Yeah, totally. And you get all those open strings ringing, you know, and all the harmonics and stuff. That's one of the cool things about, you know, all the classic 12 string songs. They're tough to play though. I bet, yeah. I love ringing open strings. I once wrote an article for Guitar Player Magazine, a lesson on 
open strings ringing called Lords of the Ring. Thank you. <laughs> Featuring all kinds of licks that are that use open strings, you know. Open strings are where it's at, I think. I just love them so much. Yeah, especially if you're playing solo, you know, because you just, you get all that full sound. Yeah, I mean, like, I remember a guitar teacher when I was a kid showed me Led Zeppelin in the evening or something. I don't know if this is how you played or not. I was like... It was so simple. I was like, oh, yeah, you just... And then later you find out that he probably played it on a fucking Telecaster, which, you know, you don't find that out till, you know, year seven of guitar playing this. You think it's Les Paul for quite a while. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And one of those things, yeah, I was, I was thinking about like where you, where you learn something and it's going to be a certain way. When I was playing actually with John Popper, um, one of the, one of the incredible things about John is, you know, in Blues Traveler, they're like a jam band. So the way they do things live is just so different sometimes from the way they do things on, re on recordings, oh, yeah. you know, and he's like, he's like Eddie Van Halen of harmonica. Oh, yeah, he's yeah. just all over the place. And so when I originally had, you know, started playing with him, I remember like the first night we had no rehearsal, you know, we went up on stage because I actually... It started out, I was playing with an opening act for one of his tours, and he'd, he'd met me and heard me playing, and then like by the second night, he ended up approaching me and saying, hey, I want you to, I want you to play you know, with me. And so that, that was really cool, and I remember I was like, we'd gotten back to the hotel room, and it was late at night, and I was trying to learn the songs for the next night that I was going to play, and so I was going to the recordings and listening to him, and then that first night when we played... The songs were so, the way, you know, tempos could have been way different, riffs that I was supposed to play, they didn't even play. Um, yeah. uh, you know, keys could have been even different keys. And so that was one thing that was, that was a lot of fun. And, you know, John keeps you on your toes. He's just an incredible, incredible yeah. musician. You know, when you work with these people like, like Steven Tyler or John Popper, it's, it's this awesome experience because the recordings that they're on can't really even capture what they do. You know, it's like when you hear it in the room, it's just like so incredible. And, and John's one of those guys, you know, keeping you on your toes. <laughs> yeah, so you're, you, you got a taste of the jam band scene, which I've had a taste of because I used to play in JGB, which featured four members of the original Jerry Garcia band. So wow, somebody came up with the idea to call it JGB. Okay. And, and this was in the, like 97, 98, 99. And we played all lots of summer gigs, lots of outdoor gigs, lots of young fans that just, you could take a 10 minute guitar solo and they don't care. <laughs> it's the most amazing, right. beautiful thing. Right, yeah, the, you know, the jam band fans, they're like so great, you know. I remember one night, um, John was <laughs> actually, he, he had to, we had a day off and he had to fly to Memphis to play with like Booker T and Steve Cropper. He's like, I got to go sing Soul Man. And John is, uh, he's often asleep during the day and awake during the night, but he had to take a flight that, you know, messed with his schedule. And so he was, he was running back and they were like, hey, can you open the show? And they asked me to go out and play solo guitar to open the show before John came. And so that was a lot of fun just going out there in the audience, like what you're saying, kind of hanging on each note and just really being 
active listeners and appreciative of the music and kind of going on that journey. Yeah. You know, with John, it's like every night you didn't know where it was going to go. Yeah, well, that's quite a gig. You're you're like Richie Havens at Woodstock, just coming out there. <laughs> Yeah, it was, you know, working in town and doing a lot of, like, I do a lot of solo guitar stuff. Yeah. Like, I'll play my Matins, um, kind of like in a Tommy Emanuel style where I play, yeah. like, thumb pick. That's cool. And so that's that's been a style that's enabled me, even through, like, the pandemic and everything, to be able to keep working, um, at least doing smaller gigs where I'm playing, like, private parties or I'm playing, like, I'm one musician. So... I'll still be able to work and maybe they can set me off, you know, socially distant yeah. and all that stuff. So that's that's been a huge thing. And then what's great about that is, you know, when you get those when you get the tip jar and you get all those things, you don't have to split it with the band. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> So wait, what are your tips for being, you know, when I say tips, not tips. <laughs> what are what's your advice for getting started nowadays as a one man musical force to roll into a place and do a gig? I know you've got some looper chops going. What looper do you like to use? Is that, is that a good place to start? Uh, yeah, well, I, I know I just did some looper stuff. I, I did some lessons on, on loopers. But actually, when I play solo, I, I don't use any loopers. But that's one of the things that, um, like, I love it when people come up to me and they say, hey, wh what looper are you using? And it's like, you know, guitar plugged into amp. You know? <laughs> but but uh, what's enabled me to do yeah. that is sort of understanding, you know, uh, finger style playing, in, in sort of like that Tommy Emmanuel kind of Chet Atkins school, like, you know, when I, and this was something that I played guitar for 20 years before starting, you know, like, and it's, it's in that Brent Mason school. Like I heard your, uh, you know, interview with Brent that was awesome. And, and oh, he's cool. coming Thanks out of that, listening. you know, uh, Jerry Reed kind of style playing. It's just one of those things where when you start, it feels, it feels really hard, you know, um, <laughs> just being being a pick player and you know i'm from la so like people don't really play that way here you know like maybe in nashville there would be more uh more of these kind of players but talking about are you talking about like travis picking and thumb picking and stuff? yeah you know and sort of like in this solo style like for instance you know being able to play just a bass line so, yeah. So now he does have a thumb pick on, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, and being able to add a melody on top, like a simple Chet Atkins tune, like. That's awesome. But people do it. Like, Eric Johnson is an incredible player because... You know, he's got all his pick stuff so fast, you know, and he can really burn, but then he can jump on an acoustic and really play acoustic. Like, so I'm looking at people like that, like Tommy Emmanuel is another inspiring player. And I started, like, I started playing thumb pick about three years ago after playing guitar yeah. for 20 years without using it, you know? And so I remember my first gig, like, I just said, I don't care, man. I'm just going to suck for six months, you know? And I would just go on the gig and I felt like I was playing out of time and everything. Like, and I was playing with really good drummers and people that were like, you know, I kind of was, 
I had to just sit back seat for like at least six months and just be like, I'm going to do it because I know in like three years, yeah. like this is going to be. And now the style of playing, like my whole style has evolved out of that. Like I'm going to be working on a new solo guitar album that's sort of like in that yeah. Lenny bro like, and it's not just playing like fingerstyle arrangements. Like, oh, I learned a tune, and then I'm gonna, uh, I'm going to play that arrangement. And every time I do it, it's gonna be the same. It's you know because I studied jazz and got to work with people like Kenny Burrell and stuff like that as my teacher. I, I have that like kind of beboffy jazz yeah. stuff. Like I, I studied that language for a while and played Giant Steps and did all that stuff. But then now I'm like trying to merge that with like the Jerry Reed stuff, which ends up kind of being in now like a Lenny Bro right. sort of territory where you'll take a tune, like let's say you take a blues, right? Just a simple blues in A, you know, where maybe I'd be doing something like, you know. And you play the melody. I'm gonna take a solo, but what I'm gonna do is try and keep like thirds and sevenths like this and just comp these. Wow. And then try and solo on top. So the whole idea is like kind of like I'm imagining I'm playing with a combo and like the jazz gigs that I've done, but I'm trying to recreate that and keep it going myself. So I could play a tune, play the melody, and then just go off and take a solo and try and keep it all going and then come back to maybe that arrangement that I have. That was sweet, And so man. You, could, you could play for 10 minutes. You could make each song like 10 minutes, you know? That sounds great. So you got the thumb pick and then some upstrums of your fingers kind of, it looked authentic. Yeah, so that's that's sort of where my own style is heading, you know, out of that. But but it's one of those things where I really didn't start doing that. I mean, I was playing like rock, funk, and like country with a pick, but being able to just kind of, okay, lose this and and then just go fingers. Now, do you use a traditional ban like banjo type pick, or do you use a pick that's like attached to your thumb? You know what I'm saying, like a wide guitar pick? Um, it's it's just a Dunlop thumb pick. Yeah, yeah. So that looks kind of like what Brent Mason uses. He uses the Herco, which happens to be distributed by Dunlop. But it's just, yeah, the thinner sort of banjo kind of pick. Right, right. Right, yeah. And I, I've yeah. seen those other ones where they, they're like an actual pick yeah, yeah. on your finger kind of. But the thing that's cool is, you know, when you look at like Tommy Mano or those players, they'll grab the pick. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So you could be playing, um, you know, like if I was doing like a, just a blues like... Yeah, right now you're not grabbing the thumb pick. You know, right, but then someone says, you take a solo. Mm -hmm. 
you know, so you can immediately go to uh, flat picking style as well. Yeah, just by pinching the thumb pick. Right, that's cool. But the only thing I don't, I mean, if you want to play like back to that funky stuff, it's like, it, it feels like a chair attached to my finger with for funk. <laughs> you know? yeah. just, but, um, you know, a lot of other styles. Whenever I mess with one of those, it always feels like it's catching on the strings whenever I mess with one of those banjo style traditional thumb picks. But I'm getting used to it the more I, I haven't put my six months in, that's for sure. Yeah, or being able to, uh, you know, like comp, like let's say I'm playing on electric, you know, and I'll use like five fingers, you know, so you get this like... Yeah. So I turn around like you could get these these really fat harmonies um, that sound more like a piano. Yeah, like if you were just hybrid picking with a regular pick, you would only be able to get four notes at most. Yeah. Yeah, at most. But now you can get five. Yeah, that's yeah. That was really rev rev. What's the word? It was a revelation to me. Revelatory. I don't know. When I started messing with the thumb pick, and I could um, just instantly free up my fingers, and the pick would stay attached. It was like. Woohoo! Now I see how people are living, and I actually really went down the rabbit hole. Except for doing pinch harmonics with distortion is a little tricky sometimes because you're trying to pinch up on the tip of the pick, but it's stuck on your thumb. Like an artificial harmonic? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know. Just... Oh yeah, I don't know how I would do that. <laughs> it wasn't impossible, but it, you had to fight with it a bit. But yeah, like, or you could do like I I don't know if. That, that seems pretty tough, what you're doing. But when I do harmonics, I'll do things like, you know. Maybe that's pretty. That kind of sounding stuff where you just get like a cascading. That is pretty, man, really nice. I've, I love octave harmonics. Of course, we always think of Lenny Bro. Some people even call them Lenny Bro harmonics. Right. But obviously many people do those besides Lenny, the late, great Lenny. But um, yeah, that's really pretty. Now, of course, I have to ask you about surfing because apparently you're a native of SoCal and uh, I went surfing once and it was, you know, the best like half hour of exercise I've ever gotten in my life, and that was just struggling to get into the wetsuit <laughs> right there. <laughs> it was actually pretty fun. I went down in Huntington Beach, but I saw a great license plate, plate frame the other day around somebody's license plate. It said, surfing sucks. Don't try it. <laughs> I was like, I know what you're doing there. You are a surfer, and you don't want me to know about it. Exactly. Yeah, that's sort of the surfer mentality. A lot of times it's like, you know, go home, kook. You know, it's like they do that kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean, I grew up in LA surfing like every day. And I always played guitar. Actually, my older brother is a, he f does cinematography. So he's the guy like in the barrel, like getting no these incredible yeah, photos. He does like extreme stuff like that. And then my little brother ended up being a lifeguard. We would always push him into the water. He'd be this little kid and he'd be crying and the waves would be like overhead and we'd say, get out there. We'd shove him out there and now he's a lifeguard, you know? <laughs> wow, you gave him some real training. So how do they get the shot of the surfer is inside the barrel and the camera is obviously just outside of it? Is he? How does a camera person do that? Yeah, so he has a water housing, and he's like with fins, and he's literally in the barrel. Wow! You know, but the but the wave is pushing him along to keep the camera on the surfer. I think he's just swimming, 
with fins. Yeah, he, he's got to catch the wave, you know, and get in, in the wave with his body, you know. Have you ever had a really hairy, like our drummer in Jefferson Starship used to surf in Santa Cruz. And one time he says he almost drowned, like he got pounded underwater and he didn't know which way was up. And the water was just chaos. He's like in a washing machine and he was running out of breath and he had no idea which way to try to go. And he said that was pretty much it for him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you got to be careful. There's certain places where you don't want to go. Like my brothers will go down to Mexico and, and be surfing these crazy spots when like the swells are firing and he's like a lifeguard and he's like scared to go out because you get held down and you're like, he's really held down. It's like, can you hold your breath for a while? You know? Dude, that's, yeah. That, but, but yeah, the surfing that I would do is just, you know, your typical, like just mellow, like I would have a longboard. I actually recently, I got away from it. And then now, now I'm looking to get one of those sups, you know, the stand up paddle. I'm going to, I'm going to be that guy, you know, that's just like the paddle, the paddler. Well, yeah. Does that ever con converge with wave surfing too? When the people like they're paddling and then they get yeah, on a wave too? Yeah, you can. The thing with a sup is it's like so big, so you can't really maneuver it like the way you can a normal board. So like you wouldn't want to, like I don't think I'd want to be like in firing surf <laughs> where it's just going off and you're like got this giant thing. You know what I mean? Because you then you got to worry about the board hitting you as well, you know, versus just yeah, drowning. Yeah, knock you out. <laughs> drowning. Yeah, just drowning is enough problem, but... I mean, it just fascinates me. Have you ever been pounded into the sand by a wave, like on a shallow water? It's, it's like it's kind of sketchy for a guitar player. Yeah, you learn like I guess I learned like younger, where the I remember my first few waves, I would just like go and I'd be eating it. Like I have a I have a bad scar under my chin from like the board hitting my chin, but. <laughs> But you learn, you know, and it's like I used to skateboard and stuff all the time. And, and then now that I play guitar, once I started playing guitar, it's like, yeah, I got to make sure I'm falling in water. You know, Ouch. I got to keep my arms uh, <laughs> intact. This is where I make my money, you know? <laughs> yeah, I know. I used to skateboard a lot as a kid and, it, right. you know, from, from like age eight years old through high school. But yeah, now if I fell down, I, yeah, I don't I don't mess around. I don't want to land on these wrists with Especially not with my quarantine 15 extra, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. And, you know, it's one of those things, too, where actually surfing, though, is really good, I think, for, like, your hands and stuff like that. You know, being a guitar player, you're working a lot of muscles in your back that you don't typically use. Oh, yeah. But, I'm... yeah, being being in the quarantine situation as a guitar player, you know, there's it's it's been an interesting thing, you know, being able to keep going and, and, you know, how musicians can make money now, you know, in the pandemic. And yeah. Do you have any advice for You just seem like you've got your whole live over the zoom thing. Just so together, any advice for musicians as far as doing this stuff? Yeah. I mean, being able to adapt is a huge thing right now. And I think, you know, one of the top ways, well, here's a few ways. So musicians can make money online through, you could make money through YouTube. You can start a YouTube channel and you can create content and you can build up that audience. And then once you get that audience, I think it's like a thousand, thousand subscribers. And I forget how many hours of watch time that they have it up to now, but then your channel can become monetized. And that's something that can pay musicians while, like it's a great form like for me it's you know I'm, I'm making passive income basically through that I mean people argue that it's that it's not passive because if you don't keep making videos then you're eventually gonna like trail off but 
but it's a great way to be able to, you know, not only put yourself out there, but be able to like do content marketing for Zoom. Like if you want to make money now, like Zoom lessons are a huge thing. Yeah. You know, I know Good. a lot of people, great players now is a great time to hit them up for lessons, you know, because you could probably get a lesson from someone that maybe, you know, in the non-pandemic would be too busy doing sessions or touring. So yeah, standing out, like, you know, having, there's some simple things you could do. You could have separate cameras, right? And that's a huge thing if you're doing, like, I mean, you can get a webcam for $30 and you can have a separate camera on your fretting hand or where the student will be able to see your hand easier and they get excited, you know, it's like, oh, cool. Like, look at all this technology. It feels like we're here in person and there's a lot of great softwares you can use. You can use screen sharing software where I'm pulling up Guitar Pro and showing them how to read tabs and showing them and like zooming in. Like one of the things that you can do online is you can go, you could zoom right in on a screen share and you could show them exactly where to look. Where often you may be in a lesson with a student, you say, check this out. And they might not even look where, where you're trying to show them and they might miss something, you know, so you can kind of control that. And then that's something that I think will help people stand out as well as make money instantly. I mean, we can use Venmo, you can use PayPal, they can easily get paid. Yeah. And, uh, you know, for me, it's it's like the whole online thing is, is a business. So I have my own online business where I'm creating digital products and I'm selling those. And, you know, you can, like I partnered with a guitar company, Maiton, actually, we just did a, a big release. Um, with this Essential Blues Guitar System, which is a, a guitar program that I created. And, you know, there's courses or there's places like Udemy where you can create courses and you can sell on there. And nice. it's basically people can buy your products. So that's another way. You could have a blog, you know. So there's, there's a lot of ways to create income now, I think, that didn't exist before. That in a lot of ways, I think that there's more opportunity even doing that than having the best gig that exists as far as like with the biggest artists. Yeah. Like if you, you know what I mean? If, if you said, okay, Paul McCartney or X artist on that level pays this much, you know, per tour or whatever, there is more opportunity for you to do something online. Interesting. To make more money than the, you know, and then the cool thing is, is you can have it all going at the same time. So once you get something going, you can go out on the road. Yeah, I remember I was I hooked up a friend with a I didn't hook him up, but I recommended him for a gig. It's like, hey man, you want it was like a national artist or right. something, and he was like, How much is a paper show? I was like, dude, but this is you're gonna be playing like all these big halls and stuff. Right. He's like, mm, no, no, thanks. It's like because <laughs> he's doing so well at home with his sessions and his and this is even before the pandemic. I think the pandemic has definitely showed us there's like a little silver lining, like it's kind of showed us that. There's, it's created a whole new open the door to a lot of these other opportunities that you're talking about that weren't quite there before. And especially now that a lot of the manufacturers are doing more stuff online, you know, NAM winter NAM is officially canceled. So Crazy. everyone has to do stuff online. Right. And the cool thing is, is it's giving you the power yeah. to make it happen. So like these things that I'm mentioning, it's not a get rich quick thing. You know, if you need to make money right now today, like, you know, that's not going to happen from YouTube. Yeah. But if you stick with it and you, do, you know what I mean? You work on that. Yeah. If you put the work in on those things, there is a lot of possibility there. Yeah, I've had a YouTube account for 10 years now and I'm a hundred air. I can tell you, I've become a hundred air off it.
Hundred. <laughs> yeah, you make some money. It's you know you kind of forget about it, and then you get a check in the mail or not in the mail, but and it's it's mailbox money, and it's really great to feel that you got some of that just from your own creativity or whatever. Can I ask you, how does monetizing a video go if it's someone else's? I've never monetized a video that is me demonstrating another song or doing a cover tune. You know, does I know that there's a way to like share the royalties or. Right. Yeah. So it's the wild west. You know, I mean, there's so many things where there was previous copyright laws that every day, like huge artists are doing things like, I mean, even just to put a song, I think a cover video on YouTube was, was like illegal. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like technically, it's like a public performance, but, um, yeah, I mean, the way YouTube does it, so for instance, like, <laughs> I, I've worked with companies where I've done these things where they have me, like, on my channel, I've transcribed, like, entire albums. So right now wow. I'm doing this Rubber Soul series where I do a lesson on every single song on the album. So it's cool because people, one, for me, I get, like, an insight into this style, you know, whether it's the Eagles or one of these songwriters, you can really dive into their work or ACDC and see how he plays his chord shapes, you know, Angus Young, and he modifies the chords to make them sound great with distortion or whatever. And so uh, what I did is I worked for this company and I did some videos and then we did all this work and then the videos all got pulled. Yeah. So the pulling is, is less now. What they're doing now is like revenue sharing. So for instance, like if your video gets flagged, but it's really like a lot of times depends on, you know, I think if you have a lot of views, yeah. there's more of a chance of people seeing it and flagging it. And then also depending upon the artist, like there's certain artists at labels, I think that will let the song go out there. But I know like the Eagles, for instance, like I did this huge Eagles thing and every video got pulled and yeah, it's unfortunate, but you know, what can you do? But if you were doing an artist that is okay to maybe do a revenue share, right? I, I guess there's no official way to do it, but you just put it up and you click monetize and then maybe what happens is they'll put a claim on it, not right. a strike against you. Cause we, none of us want strikes but they'll put a claim on it and then the revenue will split or? Yeah, well, it ends up being like, I think the last time I checked on one of the videos and did the math, it was like I was getting like 20% or something. Like it wasn't a split. It was like heavily weighed on. Yeah, so um, again, yeah. I think right. YouTube is flagging that or whoever. Still pretty cool though. You know, they have kind of behind the scenes checking those videos. But you can also get, like I've had my own songs get flagged you know, in my own video, which is always weird because you're like getting, oh, getting yeah. flagged by your own copyright. And so I've, I've said, Hey, you know, I've, you write in and you say, look, I've like, Me oh, too. I, I'm the writer of this song and here's the proof. And then all of a sudden it yeah. just, it just opens up on YouTube. Yeah. If you put up songs on TuneCore or whatever, one of these platforms and you click certain boxes, they're going to look out. <laughs> so they don't know, but maybe about your YouTube account and then they flag you even though you created the song. But yeah, I did that too, yeah. Write in, write in an email and it takes a while. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Thanks for being on today. Now, what is your YouTube channel? Obviously, people can look up, obviously people can look up your name, but. Sure, yeah, so it's just, you know, www.youtube.com slash my name, John McLennan. And I spend a lot of time there. 
J-O-N, people. No H. J-O-N. Yeah, John McLennan. I spend a lot of time there, you know, solving guitar mysteries. And right now, it's just been really cool to be able to teach, like, yeah. millions of people all over the world how to play guitar. That's great. Well, it's been great having you on today. And you're super inspiring. And uh, Yeah, I feel, feel great, man. <laughs> um, you want to jam out on something? Yes. Here, let, me, let me grab my electric. Saw you doing that on one of your videos. One of the most under I mean that's such a great song. It's House of the Rising Sun. It's just perfect. It's so good. That progression is so fun. Yeah. And the melody, yeah. Totally cool. Okay. Alright, I'll, I'll see if I I'll play and, and I will ignore you and I'll play the background. Thank <laughs> you.